welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. You're welcome. Good evening, everyone. Hope everyone's well and had a great day. And if you didn't, and if you're not well, still the right place to be here tonight. Praise God. Well, I want to uh, take a look this evening at one of the great stories of the Bible. It's been dramatized in musicals and all sorts. It's the story of Joseph, very, very well known. Um, If you don't know it, I'll just give you the the 30-second run-through. I I just want to focus on one aspect of Joseph tonight as a bit of a character study and of how the Lord worked in his life. But the quick version, Joseph is the, he's, he's, he's the grandson of um, well, anyway, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. That's the line, whatever, whatever that is, of the patriarchs. And he, uh, he's one of 12 brothers. He is greatly loved by his father, which we'll get into tonight. And because he has these dreams about his future, his brother's begin to be jealous and to hate him, and they end up selling him into, throwing him in a pit to kill him, but then they change their minds. They sell him into slavery, um, dispatch him with a camel train, one of the great trading routes at, at that time in the Middle East. He ends up down in Egypt, presumed dead by everyone, by his family, by his dad. The brothers rig some evidence to, to prove that he died was eaten by an animal, ends up down in Egypt, sold in the slave markets, uh, ends up working for uh, a, a very prominent man in Egypt called Potiphar, does really well, rises to the top of that job, is running the place. Potiphar's wife sets her eyes on him and tries to lure him into adultery with her. He refuses. She falsely accuses him. He gets thrown into jail, back to square one again. Uh, in jail, he's, he's faithful. He interprets some dreams through the wisdom of God of the people in the jail, some of whom were Pharaoh's servants. So ultimately, that gets, springs him out of jail because Pharaoh has a dream that he wants interpreted. He ends up then being elevated. Because of the wisdom God has given, he ends up being elevated to the, basically the prime minister of the nation. And he ends up being charged with... Uh, figuring out what to do with the famine that's coming. He is instrumental in saving the lives of many thousands and thousands of people in the the known world at that time, or that Middle Eastern world. Ends up being reintroduced to his family, his dreams come to pass, and the whole family ends up relocating to Egypt, where God begins to build them up as a nation. That's kind of the quick version, but an amazing story. Um, so it's no surprise that Andrew Lloyd Webber and others have dramatized it. And it's not just the rags to riches aspect. Of course, that's, that's what's attractive in it. But for us, I think it's what's so wonderful in this story is God's great plan to kind of zoom out and see what God was doing through all of this. And it's remarkable. You know, God, God's plan was to build a nation in order to bring a Messiah, in order to save the world in order to reach us. So we go all the way back to then, if you, if you like. 
So God, God wants to build this nation from the sons of Abraham. How does he do it? He does it by relocating them to a land where they will be completely culturally different. And in fact, the Egyptians don't like the Hebrews. They don't like shepherds for some reason. So they, they, can, they can thrive there in an area of this land. They can multiply and grow, protected because of Joseph being elevated to the throne. Ultimately pushed out to leave the land, to leave for Canaan, the promised land. This mighty purpose is all about bringing to pass the Messiah. And of course, the story and the wonderful truths in it we're looking at tonight is about fashioning the lives involved in this great plan and purpose, in particular Joseph. Now we might say, well, how is this relevant to us? You know, this is, this is big dramatic stuff. It's countries and famines. And... But we are also involved in a great plan. And purpose. Even if it might not feel like it in your day-to-day life, we are involved in a great plan and purpose. In as much as God through this time was looking to build a nation, in us, he's building a church. And he's building a church as he built that nation in Egypt. He's building a church in the middle of a society that is alien. And that's different and separate. So we live in this society in some, in some ways, we're protected by it. In some times, we're persecuted by it. But we live in this society, and God is building his nation, his church, in this society as a separate people, but a people getting ready to leave. And as, they, as this nation was being built to, to bring in the Messiah, we're being built to hail his return, and to hasten his return, and to be that bride for him. And for us then, we are having our lives fashioned and shaped for the part each one of us must play in this great purpose. That, like Joseph, not wielding authority in governments and presidencies as such, but wielding authority in the spiritual realms in order that we might be instrumental in saving many lives. Hallelujah. What a plan. Isn't it? This is, we're part of this. It's wonderful. It's amazing. So then, Joseph, this, this life that is to be fashioned for God's great purpose in his time, that purpose that we are a continuation of, this is a life that will impact the world. It's a life, as I say, that will save many lives. It's also a life that will have the stamp of the Savior to come on him. And there's so much foreshadowing in the story of Joseph of the Messiah, and of Jesus. You know, this is our destiny too. If we're willing to do all that God wants to do on us, and if we allow him, and if we cooperate with him, he will do these great things in us. We have an extraordinary destiny in this world, and in the world to come. And yet this life of Joseph, it's a life that will face suffering, unexplainable difficulties and challenges and tragedies. It's a life that will face unfairness. We think of what happened with his brothers, what happened with Potiphar's wife. It's a life that will face hatred. It's a life in one way that will lose everything. And you know, when I was thinking about this, it just struck me that 
our gospel and our salvation is so far removed from the prosperity gospel. It's so far removed. In, the king, in God's will and purpose, we face, we face so many difficult, challenging things. And we, we read about them here tonight. But yet through that valley of suffering, God brings forth gold and brings forth people that will have such influence and power. And that's what he wants for you and me. So we want to look into this evening into Joseph's childhood. I just want to see and look at the foundation. The foundation of this great life. Um, and, you know, there are foundational things that God needs to do in every life in order to give it the endurance and the sustainability for his purpose. Now, we know that the New Testament tells us no other foundation is laid but Jesus Christ. But we, I believe we can peel back the layers of that to understand what this foundation is that God wants to lay in us as he did in this life of Joseph. So as I say, I want to look at his childhood. And if we could look, please, in Genesis chapter 30. Um, and I'm going to skim through. We want to just jump through his early childhood years and just cap capture a kind of a picture of them to understand what made up this young man. So the backdrop here is that his father was tricked by his father-in-law to marry two sisters. He loved the, young, lo the younger Rachel, but he was tricked into marrying the older Leah first. And Leah has four children at this point in chapter 30, but Rachel has none. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I will die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel and he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, here's my servant Bilhah, go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf. So we then have a kind of a childbearing competition between the two maids or concubines of the two ladies because Leah then offers up her concubine and you've child after child after child in this kind of one-upmanship in children. We get down to verse 22. By this stage now, Rachel has still had no children and Leah's had six and a daughter as well as what, what the concubines have had. So that then God remembered Rachel. And God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. So this is the background to the birth of Joseph. And it seems that the birth of Joseph seemed to bring some kind of change in the dynamic here of the family. Because it says in the next verse, As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, that's his father-in-law, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I've served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban persuades Joseph to stay another six years. And during this time, Joseph builds up his own wealth, his own stock of animals through an agreement with Laban. And if we jump forward to chapter 31, 
it says, because now Jacob, the Lord is blessing Jacob, and because he's becoming more and more wealthy, it says, Jacob saw that Laban, verse 2 of chapter 31, did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent, and he called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was, and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not permit him to harm me. And jumping down to verse 20, it says, Jacob tricked Laban by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and rose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face towards the hill country of Gilead. When he was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed closely after him into the hill country of Gilead. And we go down to verse 39 where they have, they remonstrate with each other and Jacob protests to Laban. He says, what was torn, in verse 39, what was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was by day, the heat consumed me and the cold by night and my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I've been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. And you've changed my wages 10 times. So this is the first six years of Joseph's life. It's not a promising beginning. This is a family filled with competition and tension I, the friend of mine from a Ghanaian friend of mine, he, he, he said when he grew up in Ghana, his, his grandfather, I think, was a chief and he had, he had several wives. And he said his memory was the constant competition, tension between the families. So a house filled with tension and aggro. A father torn between the two families and the concubines. And a cheating gangster boss who also happens to be your crazy granddad. This is a family in turmoil. A family that goes on the run from granddad to get out of there. In fear and in anxiety that he's going to catch up with them and kidnap them or hurt them. And they've just got out of this scrape when they've got to face murderous Uncle Esau. Who's coming at them with 400 men? And Jacob is in a complete panic about this. He's sending him gifts to try and appease him. And you thought your family was bad? So anyway, they survive Uncle Esau. In in the next chapter of this... um, Soap opera family. His sister, Jacob's, or Joseph's sister, Dina, is raped. And his brothers go to war with the local residents. And of course, they're now in absolute terror that they are going to be turned on by the Canaanite community. And they have to go on the run again. 
But in the middle of all of this, God is beginning to move in this home. Joseph can see that something has happened to his dad. He's just, he's just seven or eight, nine years old. We don't know at this stage. He's a young guy. He can see that something happened. His dad, when he was confronting Esau and sought God and wrestled with an angel, something has happened to him. And after this, they throw out all the old idols that they had in the house. So there's a change coming in this messy home. God is speaking to them. God is protecting them. It says the terror of the Lord fell on all the cities there that they didn't attack them when they were fleeing from the residents of the city that the brothers attacked. But then, then at this point, for little Joseph, tragedy strikes. Chapter 35, verse 16 It says, then they journeyed from Bethel. God is just after appearing now to Jacob, his father, again. When they were still some distance from Ephrat, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. His adoring mother, the only one he had, is torn from this eight, nine, ten-year-old boy. Can you imagine the devastation? The only one. He has no other full brothers or sisters. They're all in their little family groups, Leah's children, Bill has children, the other concubine's children. Joseph, this little boy, he's alone. Why? Why God? So this is little Joseph. This is his childhood. What hope has this poor traumatized lad Well, now we begin to move into that part of the story where I believe we can understand what the foundation of this life was. If we go to chapter 37, final reading here from Genesis, just a few verses. Jacob is now 17. He says, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now this text is kind of matter of fact. But you know what jumped out of this? as I read this recently to me, I believe by the Holy Spirit, is every parent loves their kids. But this is underlined here in the Word of God. That what poured into the gaping open wound of this poor boy, into it flowed a great love. 
a great love. His father loved him more than anyone else. And you know, love is what forms us. Love. Love is what shapes us. Both its presence and its absence. Even in the human dimension, and we're speaking about the spiritual here, but I want to just tackle the human for a moment. Because this is a human little boy. And I just want to read a few comments from a study from the Journal of Mental Disorders and Treatment in 2019, 2018. This Abdul Kalek, he studied 4,000 studies over 41 years from 31 countries and five continents. And he came to the following conclusions. Children's feelings of being loved, cared and appreciated by parents are likely to have greater developmental outcomes than any other single parental influence. As every cultural and ethnic group has its own ways of communicating love and affection, parents of a particular culture should find culturally appropriate ways to communicate love, warmth and affection. Moreover, parents should avoid behaviours that indicate coldness, hostility, aggression, indifference, neglect, that induce a feeling of rejection in children. Compared to children who feel loved, children who feel unloved are likely to develop a pattern of psychological maladjustment and personality dispositions including hostility, aggression, dependence, low self-esteem, low self-adequacy, emotional unresponsiveness, emotional instability, negative worldview, anxiety and insecurity. Children who perceive themselves to be rejected or unloved are also likely to develop behavioural problems, conduct disorders, delinquency, substance abuse, and depression. And finally, father's love-related behaviours often have as strong or even stronger implications for children's psychological adjustment, personality, and socio-emotional development than do mother's love. That's a compelling argument in the human dimension for love, for demonstrated love. And I thought to myself when reading this, you know, so many of the people I know and work with, for their children it's ballet on Monday, camogie on Tuesday, science camp on Wednesday, something else on Thursday, something else on Friday, STEM activities in UCC all day on Saturday. And all the kid needs is to be loved. They don't need all this stuff. They need love. And if this is true, just in our psychological makeup, and you know what? We may have had none of these things. We may have been neglected as children. We may have inadequate parents, and most of our parents are inadequate, and we're inadequate. But how much more? In, if this is how God has made us, how much more in the spiritual realm is the foundation of every child of God? It's love. His father loved him. And that's the foundation. Whatever had happened, whatever turmoil they'd been through, whatever he'd lost, his father loved him. 
And that love poured into this, oh, broken child. And you know, the Father's love is something unique for the Christian. It's unexplainable. It's something that's alien to all other religions. Allah, he's he's about submission. Buddha's about oblivion. But our God is love. Hallelujah. He's love. Oh, hallelujah. What a God is ours. It's not duty that is our foundation. It's not even righteousness. It's not even, it's not good behavior. It's not wisdom. It's love. God is love. And it's love that forms the very solid basis of a life as a Christian, as a child of God. This love that Joseph received, let's look at a few aspects of it. How was it expressed? It clothed him in this famous robe, this multicolored robe. It covered him in a glorious garment. It didn't just stay in the realm of sentiment or words. It did something. It fashioned something unique for Joseph. And it does for us. It was the outer evidence of that love. And you know, the love of our God, it has covered us. It didn't just stay. He didn't just say, I love you all. Shout it down from heaven. But he came to make us a garment. To cover our sin, our inadequacy, our shame. To make us beautiful. It was a beautiful garment. Isaiah 61.10 says, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I'm like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. Oh, God's amazing love that stepped down and fashioned for us. His father got the fabric. He got it dyed. He went and he, he, he worked to get this robe done. Our Father, he sent his Son. Hallelujah. It's Calvary love. Calvary love. But you know, we need to see Calvary as love. You can go into many a church and see the cross all around the walls, but it, introdu- it induces something more like guilt. And can you enter into the pain? If that's not it at all. Calvary's about love. It's about God sending Jesus so that we could be covered. Oh, this love that clothes us, it's tender, it's kind, it's merciful love. It doesn't turn up its nose at our mess or just tell us to pull ourselves together. There's a beautiful passage in Ezekiel 16 where God speaks to his people and he says to them, no one had the slightest interest in you. Is that you tonight? No one. No one pitied you or cared for you. On the day you were born, you were unwanted, dumped in a field and left to die. But I came by and saw you there helplessly kicking about in your own blood. As you lay there, I said, live. Then I bathed you and washed off your blood and I rubbed fragrant oils into your skin. 
I gave you expensive clothing of fine linen and silk, beautifully embroidered and sandals made of leather. I gave you lovely jewelry, bracelets, beautiful necklaces, ring for your nose, earrings for your ears, and a lovely crown for your head. And so you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were made of fine linen, costly fabric, and were beautifully embroidered. You looked like a queen, and so you were. Your fame soon spread throughout the world because of your beauty. I dressed you in my splendor and perfected your beauty, says the sovereign Lord. This is his love. Oh, what kindness to come to us in our mess, in our, in our ruin. And that love of Joseph's father had picked him up out of his sadness. Perhaps the father was distracted before by all that was going on, but now he pours his love into this little boy. And you know, love revealed his purpose. This garment of many colors, the commentaries say that this was a royal garment. It was the garment typically of a prince in those days. And you know, his father saw him and foreshadowed him as a prince before he was even a prince. This is what love does for you, for me. It sees you as God has intended for you. It sees you not as you might see yourself, not as even you seem to be in your current situation, but it sees you in what God has planned for you. His father saw him as a prince before he even became one. He would be the prince of Egypt. Love revealed Christ in him. This was a foreshadowing. What we read here. It was a foreshadowing of the love of the father for the son. This is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. Look to him. I exalt him above all others. So in this, there's a, there's a bringing in to the fellowship of the Father and the Son. There's a bringing in to that great love that's in the Godhead. And Jesus said this to his disciples. He, said, he prayed for them. He said, the love with which you have, he prayed to his Father, the love, Father, which you, which you have loved me, I pray that it will be in them and I in them. So he brings us into this great Father-Son love. Love bound their lives together forever. Forever. When, when, when the boys bring back the blood-soaked robe and tell the dad, look, he's dead, there's nothing we can do about it. It says in verse 35, all his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol, that's the grave, to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. His life was bound. He didn't just brush it off. His life was attached to Joseph's life and would be till the end. In fact, when he meets Joseph after those many years, he says to him, now I've seen your face, let me die. His life was attached. And you know, this love of the Father and of Jesus to us, it's not something light and trivial. He attaches himself and his own life into our life. He comes to live in us. It's amazing. It's deep, it's unconditional, 
It's not behavior dependent. It's not anything dependent. It's there forever. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, in conclusion, and what then? Do we just say, oh, well, that's lovely. That's nice. Sure, yeah, we know God loves us. Isn't it great? But I say, no. This needs prayer. It needs prayer because I believe in the issue is not so much that love that God has for us. The issue is for us to receive it. And for us to enable it to enter in. And this takes the power and work of the Holy Spirit. You know, there's something hidden in this here where he says he, was this, he loved him because he was the son of his old age. And I believe this is a pointer. Anything that speaks of the old age, it, it, generally, spiritually, it's pointing to the, end, the last days, which is our day. So there's something about the love of God that can reach us now that we have the Holy Spirit that couldn't even reach them when they didn't. So there's a work of the Spirit in this that I want to wrap up with. And if we could just read in Ephesians chapter 3 what what I'm saying about this needs prayer. Because at the end of the day, this love, you know, It's so hard to truly receive it and accept it or fully understand it or believe it because we always question, well, how could this be? But Ephesians chapter 3, in verse 14, the apostle speaks about prayer. He says, for this reason I bow my knees. I'm praying before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So this is the power of the spirit doing something in in our very innermost being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted. Rooted is the roots that go down. The word here, grounded, is exactly what I'm saying. It means foundation. That you're rooted and grounded in love, not in something else. Because we can be grounded in other things, even as a Christian. Rooted and grounded in love. That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What a prayer. This, Oh, brothers and sisters, let this be our prayer. Lord, help us. Because you know what? Inside our hearts and innermost beings, there's channels and avenues that are completely clogged up from sin, from hardness, from our culture, From our background, from the things we've been known as. And we need the dynamite of the Holy Spirit to break them open. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, folks, in us. 
that that love might flow into us truly and we might truly understand and know it in its fullness for this is the fullness of God. Hallelujah. Oh, this is a great work of the Spirit to push open, to blow open those passageways in our, in our inner selves that are just completely blocked up by an inability to accept the love of God, an inability to receive it, an inability to believe it or understand it, but he can come. Oh, it's, oh, this is something wonderful. Hallelujah. 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 I've been saved nearly 40 years, and I can, I can say that still, I look back to last year, I remember three occasions that stand out to me where the Holy Spirit came in the most ordinary circumstances and just did something that unveiled to me the love of God in a way I never knew before. This is not some trivial thing. It's a great foundation. And you know, sometimes the foundations have to be strengthened or reestablished. I remember watching this documentary about an old house restoration. And they had to stop the restoration. It was a house in England, beautiful old house. They had to stop it for months because the house was beginning to slide down the hill. Because the foundation, the old foundations weren't that great. So they had to go in and go in under the house, pin the whole thing up and redo the foundation. And that often needs to happen to us. Even after years, we can be on the wrong foundation or kind of on the foundation but the Lord wants to come in and pour in pour in that love and understanding oh oh the deep deep love of Jesus vast unmeasured boundless free flowing as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me oh we need this understanding Joseph needed it for the life that was ahead of him we need it we need this revelation to fit our lives so that we can say when the evil day comes, not, why is this happening to me if God loves me? But instead we can say, I know that neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor death itself can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions at all, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.